You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Um, I'm going to be reading out of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I think the words will be on the screen as well. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, there was no helper found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib. Then the Lord God made, made the rib of, that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Can you clap for Josh? That's awesome, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. Hey, you guys can be seated. In case you've never met, my name is Lyle, one of the pastors here, and just like us. What has been said several times, man, I want to say welcome, especially welcome those families and friends that are part of the baptismal service here in just a few minutes, man. Great to have you guys also. And so just in case you're new or this is your first time, we are coming to the end of a series that we've called Sacred. And all we've tried to do over these last 11 weeks is try to kind of marinate, so to speak, in Genesis 1 and 2. And before we get to Genesis 3, what we have a tendency to do is always talk about what's wrong with the world. Or maybe I'll just, what I have a tendency to do is go to Genesis 3 and say, everything's wrong, it's horrible. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, you know what I'm saying? But, but what we want to do is just spend a little bit of time. That's what we've tried to do over the, these last few weeks is see that, man, there's a goodness to this world. And when God created it, he said it over and over and over. It is good. It is good. It is good. And creation is a beautiful gift that he's given to us. Not so that we could worship creation, right? That's where it gets all jacked up, right? But where we can enjoy it. And so what we've tried to do over these last few weeks is just to show that God is not anti-world, right? He is for the world. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ should not be anti-world also. We should be a people that enjoy God's good creation. And so we'll get... Uh, we'll get to the fall next week. That's where we kind of land the plane. It's kind of like land on the bad news, but that's okay because then we get into Advent and there's the good news. Amen? So uh, we can do the bad news for just a, a little week. So today I want to talk um, about marriage. So if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to, uh, to g- grab that sermon. Also, I use this passage to kind of address married people uh, and how they view singles so that singles can feel more a part of our community and not feel like they're aliens in our community. And so today I want to spend a little time uh, talking about marriage. And so uh, I pray, I know that not everybody in this room is married and I get that. And so maybe you're feeling like I can take a nap. If you're really that tired, you can take a nap. Go for it. I'm not going to call you out. And the reality is, is some of you take naps every week. I see you. Don't think I don't see you up here. I know when you're not enough. Even my sons, they're like out. It's like, this is ridiculous. I got to get somebody else up here because you guys are falling asleep every time I get up here. But I'm praying that no matter uh, where your status is as an individual, that God would speak to you. Uh, we do believe that this is the very words of God that come out. And there's ways that the Spirit of God uses these words and, 
in ways that I'm not even going to say them out loud up here. He's just at work. And so we're trusting no matter what season you're in, whether you're single, married, widow, wherever you find yourself, uh, that God has something for you uh, this morning. So before we jump in, here's kind of like... um, a way for me to sort of um, open it up or kind of set us on a level playing field. Sometimes when we, especially roll into a church context, when we roll into a church context and you find out that a sermon is on marriage, uh, some of us in this room can feel like uh, we're on an island and we're all by ourselves because some of us look at our marriage and go, oh my gosh, my marriage is really struggling. It's really falling apart. And I'm coming into an environment where it looks like on the outside, everybody else is put together. You know, people holding hands, got their arms around their spouse, and, and we're kind of making ourselves sit together today. And you can feel like everyone else's marriage is great and our marriage is really, really struggling. I just want to say that is not true here. It's not. I don't know everyone's marriage. I know my own marriage, and here's what I know about my own marriage. There's still levels of unhealth in my own marriage. So that would make me believe with confidence that no matter where you are in marriage, there are levels of unhealth in all of our marriages. Now, granted, there may be seasons where that unhealth is really unhealthy, but all of us are rolling in here as married people, not going, we're killing it, (laughs) right? Maybe there's some husbands that think that, but that's just because your relational IQ is a little low. Amen, guys, right? If you want to find out how your marriage is really doing, just ask your wife, all right? They'll they'll be able to say, ah, it's not as great as you think it is, all right? So, and I'm speaking to myself here. I just want to like make sure all of us realize we're all on the same playing field here. Nobody's like up here and other people people down here. No, we're all growing. We all have levels of unhealth in our marriage. So you're not on an island by yourself. In fact, I would say, man, you're welcomed here no matter where your marriage is. All is welcomed in the hands and the arms of Jesus. Jesus said it himself. He's a friend of sinners. And I'm one of them. So that's one thing. Second is this. My prayer is that um, no matter where you are in your marriage, so maybe you've been married for a year, five years, and maybe you're here and you've been married 50 years. My prayer for you is my same prayer that I have for myself and my wife is that we always have an open-handed posture, that we all want to learn. Like we've never arrived None of us have. We all want an open-handed posture that we want to humble ourselves, be teachable. That no matter, even if I think I've got it all figured out and we've been at it long enough that I don't need to hear anything. No, my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that this is the posture of my heart. I want to continue to learn and I want to continue to grow. And here's the, the hard thing about learning. It's it's really difficult, right? It's not fun. It's not enjoyable to hear where you're not doing it well. It's not. But that's part of the work. Like, like if I'm going to learn, if I'm going to have an open-handed posture, if I'm going to be teachable, then I need to have someone say, wow, this isn't working. This isn't working. And so my prayer for all of us, all right, even if you think, It's your spouse's problem, right? Like, man, if they could fix themselves, our marriage would be great, right? That's a whole nother sermon in and of itself. But even if you're coming in thinking that, my prayer for you is that you would be like this. And I want to learn. I want to be teachable. So Holy Spirit, help me to see what I need to see this morning. So, all right. One big idea today. uh, Actually, 
cut my sermon completely in half this morning, all right? So and by the end of the sermon, you're going to be thankful I can cut it in half, amen? Uh, but I just felt like this is kind of where I wanted to land from this text. I think there's a whole lot in this passage of scripture. And anytime you talk about marriage, you've got 30 minutes. So you can't say everything about marriage. I can't, it's absolutely impossible, but I wanna say something. And so this is where I'm narrowing in because I do think in the text that we looked at this morning, this is part of what's going on here. And here's my big idea that I'm trying to go after is this, is that God created marriage. That's, that was point one, right? So maybe that comes out later somewhere, but he's the one that created marriage, all right? We didn't invent this. So what he says about marriage, we need to listen to because he's the one that created. But God created marriage to be a unique relationship, like no other relationship you have on this earth. I know some of you are going, well, that's not very profound. That's not like, uh, you know, goodness gracious, is that all you got? Maybe I can't take a nap. Well, here's what I say to you. I would say that some of us, some of us kind of dismiss that reality and we assume that we are, are, are really growing together in oneness and in our relationship. We kind of make that assumption. And I would say that God created this relationship to be a unique relationship like any, like unlike any other relationship that you have on this earth. Yes, yes. Part of that uniqueness as the, is the marriage relationship of husband and wife was never to be an end in itself. It was always created to point to a greater reality. And that greater reality is the relationship that Jesus has with his church, his people. So that, that's in part, maybe the main reason why God created marriage is so that we human beings can get a, a physical, tangible seeable thing of, of what marriage, what this relationship looks like between Jesus and the church. And not only is it something that's pictured forward, it's also a reality that we can experience right now. And that's where I want to camp out. So it's not the only relationship that you need to have in your life. I'm not saying that. We have a wide variety of relational needs and we don't just need to kind of have all that in our spouse. However, right, it sounds like I'm talking about both sides of my mouth, but I kind of am, and I think it's okay. It's about two sides of the same coin, right? However, this is a unique relationship, and it needs to be cultivated, and it needs some intentionality. So let's dive in. This is where I get this, starting in verse 23. So just remember... God sees something that's not good in creation. And what is not good is that man is alone. He's solitude. So God solves the problem, right? He puts Adam to sleep, takes a ribbon out. He fashions Eve and he officiates the very first wedding. He brings Eve to Adam and, um, and gives him in marriage. The first little marriage we see here. And so after all that's happening, we see the first kind of poem, the first sort of love song in the Bible, and I'm a sucker for love songs. I'm telling you what I'm doing tonight. I'm listening to the Adele special, amen, right? It's like, I'm so excited. She's got a new album out. So I'm like really excited about tonight as they have a little, little concert we get to watch. But, but here's the first love song. There's like 10 of you going, oh, that's really great. And the rest of you are going, I think I want to get out of here. This guy's a weirdo. Um, but I love what he says here, verse 23. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's like me. Same. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. I love this because the, 
the picture here is like when, as soon as Eve comes, it's like, you know, it's like that, um, I don't know if anybody seen Napoleon Dynamite, anybody fans of that? All right, with me here. So here's the gif, right, of his uncle or brother. Yes, that's exactly what Adam did if we had to kind of modernize this. So thank you, Seth, for the way you made that way better than what I could do. But this sentence and the story of Eve's creation both make the point that marriage creates the closest human relationship that we can have on this earth. And then that's even further developed in verse 24 through a specific use of some words here. Look what it says here. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. This first word here, leaves, kind of carries this idea of them actually leaving their family. So remember, remember, in ancient Israel, the son did not move away from them when they were married. Most likely, they still stayed together and lived near one another because eventually the, the son would inherit the father's land. So the leaving has left less to do with geographical separation, even though there may be some wisdom in that, right? Maybe good for you as a couple to move away from mom and dad and get a little separation from you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's the case here. It has more to do with treasuring one's spouse's opinions, thoughts, feelings, desires, and hopes above parents and anyone else for that matter. I think at minimal, God is saying this here when he's talking about the man leaving. It's that God did not put a parent and a child in the garden. He put a husband and wife. And when and if you marry, that relationship must supersede all other relationships, including your parents, which was a huge message in this time, huge. So, man, these are just like sermons in and of themselves, but if you find yourself listening to the voices of your parents more than you listen to your spouse, then most likely you've not left your family. If you find yourself not defending your spouse before your parents when it's needed to happen, then most likely you have not left the family, and I would put before you, not sure if this is happening, there's probably some problems and trouble going on in your marriage. Because your spouse is feeling neglected. So let's lead. The second word here is this idea of bond. It says this, this is why a man leaves his father and and they and they bond. And some translations have this word cleave there. It's a, it literally means to be glued to something, right? It's like, like super glue, man. It's a, you're bonded with your, with your spouse there. And then the other one is that, and they become what? One flesh. And this is not, yes, it is talking about the sexual union that happens between husband and wife. But I would also lay before you, that's not all that it's talking about. I think it's also talking about this oneness that happens within the relationship as you journey together as husband and wife. And so what I would say to you is not just these individual words in and of themselves that speaks to the uniqueness of a relationship. It's the combination of all these words put together. You don't do this with any other friendship, with any other relationship. You don't leave and bond and become one flesh. This is just the marriage relationship of husband and wife. It is a unique 
relationship that God has given us and there needs to be intentionality to deepen that unique relationship. It's interesting. Notice how the writer of Proverbs talks about um, marriage with this one little word. And I, and I do think it's, you know, maybe guessing a little bit, but I'm speculating that the writer's thinking of Genesis 2 because that's the only place where he's got some instructions about marriage in all the Bible. So that has to be on his mind when he writes this in verse 17. And this is in the context of an adulterous woman here and leaving her, um, her marriage here. He says this in verse 17, who abandons, say this out loud, the com- Thank you. The first service, I had like one person, but it was not underlined. And everybody's like, oh, what am I supposed to do? It's not underlined. So who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. That word companion, and, and, I, and I know our English translations are doing the best they can trying to translate a Hebrew word that carries a lot of nuance and a lot of meaning that, that's hard to kind of capture in one word. But the idea behind this word in the original language is more like a special confidant or best friend. And so who's the writer of Proverbs talking about? He who abandons their best friend. Well, who's their best friend? It's not a trick question. Say it out loud. Their husband. Her husband. So guys, think about this. God didn't just bring Adam a lover. He didn't bring Adam an, a servant. He didn't bring Adam a sex toy where he can get all of his sexual fantasies fulfilled. No, God brought him a friend, a companion. And I would say, even though Adam didn't fully know this, a friend who his heart had been seeking and longing for. And I would say also that the the Bible seems, based on even this little phrase, and they became one flesh, put great emphasis on this idea of this relationship being unique and special and a relationship that you need to deepen because they're not just a roommate. They are to be a a very, very close friend. As one philosopher says, it's not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. And just sit on that just for a second. It's not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. Look, I'm not trying to downplay romance and erotic love. All that's part of what goes on in the marriage relationship. I'm just trying to emphasize what I believe God is trying to emphasize when he gave Adam Eve. He gave him a companion, a friend. Tim Keller, who's a retired pastor now, pastor church in New York City for several years. Um, He's got a book that he wrote several years ago called The Meaning of Marriage. I mean, it's a kind of a thick read. I don't necessarily give this to uh, when I do premarital counseling because it's like, ah, they might get a little lost. But it's a great read for like, I'm always a fan of postmarital counseling. Amen. It's like, you need both. 
It's like, I'd be rather kind of like, let's talk after five years because maybe some of the things we've talked about in premarital counseling, you'll quit looking at me like, oh, that'll never happen to us. That'll never happen to us. We are so in love. This is gonna be amazing. We're gonna have an awesome relationship. We're never gonna fight. Oh, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. We're like golden retrievers, ready to go, right? It's like, come with me a little later and then we can talk about some stuff. But he's got a wonderful book. He's got actually a chapter in there about friendship. And this is what he says. And this is pretty strong. And I'm still even wrestling with this. And a sense of like the way he's, uh, the, the strength that he's coming at this. He says this, your spouse has got to be your best friend. That's pretty strong. But here's a man who's been at it for over 40 years in marriage, been in pastoral ministry for over 40 years. I'm trying to listen to this. So please hear me. I don't think he's saying it's your only friend you need to have. I don't think that's what he's saying, but he's really trying to make an argument based on even what we see here in Genesis 2. Your spouse has got to be your best friend or, or be on the way to becoming your best friend or you won't have a strong, rich marriage that endures. And that makes you both vastly better persons for having been in it. I did a wedding yesterday. My uh, neighbor's family, their oldest son, Robert, got married and spent, you know, um, five sessions with them over the last six months just kind of talking about marriage and trying my best to kind of help them understand what they're getting ready to enter, enter into as best I can. Um, and this wedding yesterday was outside. Oh my goodness gracious. Great idea in the summer, but man, when it came about that time, it was brutal. I mean, it was like 4.30 in the evening, uh, mid thirties, wind was blowing, had a pond behind us. Thank God for that wonderful pond to blow some more cold air on us. I felt so bad for the bridesmaids. I mean, they're in their beautiful dresses, but they had no uh, shoulder covering. I mean, they were freezing. I mean, we were, we were cold and I love Robert to death. And he came up to me and I was fine. And the reason why he was fine, I told him, I said, well, Robert, you've got those little heater things taped in on your, on your, on your vest that you had on. No wonder you're like warm. The rest of us are freezing. You know, like, it's like little hand warmers, but he had them taped. Look, you guys look at me like I'm like, you're puzzled with me. So, but here's what I, what I said to them. And I said this at the beginning. It was a very short wedding. I promise you, probably the shortest I've ever had. That little 15 minute talk came to five minutes and we got in and out. It's the first wedding that I've ever done where I could see my breath. It's like, this is bad. And every time I'd bend down to look at my notes, my nose would start running. It's like, this is, the elements were against us yesterday. Amen. Maybe just me saying amen to myself, right? But here's what I said at the beginning of that uh, wedding ceremony. I said this, that in it, the nice thing about doing an outside wedding is it is a great metaphor for marriage because marriage is so unpredictable. You have no idea what you're getting into. And you do your work, right? But the reality is that you're never ready. I mean, we would say, hey, you get married because you fell in love, whatever that looks like. But here's what you learn in marriage. You learn what that love is actually going to require of you. And I think 
what Tim Keller's trying to get across and more specifically what God is trying to get across in Genesis chapter two, that if this marriage is going to endure seasons that you have no idea that are coming, you've got to cultivate a deep friendship. You have to cultivate an intimate oneness with your spouse. So how do we do this, Lyle? What's this look like? Great question, because I think the next verse tells us. Look what he says in verse 25. Both the man and his wife were, say it out loud with me. Amen. Amen. There we go, all right? We're naked, yet felt no shame. I want to come back next week and talk a little bit more about shame and how the devil used shame in Genesis chapter three to create havoc in us. And he continues to do that to this day. But here is a really important key text because naked and not ashamed is not only describing kind of their experience, so to speak, or even their, their kind of state of reality. It's also what I put before you. It's the path to oneness. Naked and not ashamed is the path to oneness. And the reason why I say that is because when you are naked and not ashamed, that's a very vulnerable place, right? I mean, anytime you are nude, right? Nudity is a matter of vulnerability. I think, you know, I'm talking about nudity and nakedness and some of you guys are like, what's going on at this church for crying out loud, right? But listen to me, all of us in this room have had dreams where we show up where we should not show up naked, Right? Can someone just give me a little testimony here, right? You show up at school, you show up at work, I've showed up at church in my dreams naked. And I, and I can say this, maybe it's not for all of us, but I would say for most of us, when you get up from that dream, you are going, thank God, right? Because in that moment, you don't feel like, wow, I'm so happy I'm naked in school. I'm just walking around. Like, no, you feel dread. You feel embarrassment. You feel a ton of shame. And then when you wake up, man, it's like a deep breath. Woo, thank you, Lord, that I did not really happen. And this is why, as one writer says, the sense of nakedness is at once, listen to him, a kind of intimacy. When rightly contextualized, but a kind of exposure when not. There's the quote. A sense of nakedness is at once a kind of intimacy when rightly contextualized, but a kind of exposure when not. I remember one writer talking about friendship requires two things. It requires like, number one, for you to be constant. For you to be a good friend, you gotta be present in their life, especially during times that are difficult and hard. And the second aspect of what it means for you to be a friend and grow in friendship is transparency. And another word that you can use to describe what transparency is, is vulnerability. And I would put for, for you, and I know this is a very simple, nuanced definition, but vulnerability is just letting people in. letting people in. And I would say that deep friendship, which is what you want to work toward with your spouse, requires vulnerability. For you 
And I know this is easier said than done, so I'm not trying to make this sound really simple. I'm not. I'm trying to offer this with kind of like trepidation, all right? Because some of you in this room have opened up and let someone in and your spouse hurt you. So I'm not trying to downplay that. That is real in this room. And at the same time, I'm just trying to invite you that what you long for is, is not just someone that lives in your house with you, not just someone that shares a bank account with you, not someone that just like help, us, help make some good decisions. No, what you want is a friendship. You want them to be your best friend, your closest friend. And that doesn't happen at I do. It takes time. It takes intentionality. And it takes you risking vulnerability and letting them in. Kath and I went out with a couple several months ago. This couple's not from this church, so some of you can rest assured, okay, he's not talking about us. <laughs> so I'm always a little nervous sometimes when I talk about stories in my own life. But we went out with this couple uh, several months ago, had dinner with them, loved this couple. They're wonderful. They're kind of a, we're a few years ahead of them. They're in the stage of like young parenting, kids, all the chaos that goes on with that. And the husband asked us, you know, like, what is, what is, you know, if you had some advice for us, I know your family's not perfect, Lyle and Kathy, but I love you all and I love your boys and enjoy being around them. But if you had like one, like one piece of advice that you would give to us, what would that be? And if you know my wife, Kathy, she's usually not the first one to respond, right? She's not. She usually tries to, wants to think it over. She's, um, uh, she's an Enneagram five and nine. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's not some demonic language. If you don't know what it is, it's okay. It's just please do not send me a horrible email saying I'm from the devil. I'm not. It's just like a great way for you to learn more about yourself. So knowing that she has a tendency to kind of step back and wait and process before she speaks. But this time she didn't. So anytime Kathy steps in to speak first, it's like, all right, back off. There's like some profundity is about to be landed, right? And drop the mic, we're walking away, right? And this is what she said. You must invest in your relationship. Build a deep friendship. And the husband, love him to death, basically said this. Okay, I hear that, yeah, 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 but what's more? What else is there? And if you know anything about my wife, right, this is like really stepping in places where she doesn't want to step in, but she kindly pushed and said, no, this is the more. Right here, you two, deepening your relationship and becoming friends because that's what your kids, no matter what their ages are, need from you. And I would even put before you, if you have adult children in here, they need it even more that where mom and dad has a friendship, a relationship that's continuing to deepen even though they've been married for 40 years. So, what can this look like, Lyle? So if it's a, a deepening of oneness, this vulnerability, letting them in, what 
can this look like? And I want to give you a few things here and then I'm done. All right. And this is not like uh, a list from the Bible, so to speak. I think they're kind of in the Bible. All right. But honestly, this is just kind of um, what I thought about when I looked at my wife and I, after we've been married for 26 years, what have we tried to do? Not perfectly, but imperfectly try to do to deepen this. All right. What have we tried to do? And I'll give you four real quick. And hopefully there's something here that would be helpful for you. Number one is this, make the deepening of your relationship a priority, a priority. And so just a hint here, if your spouse does not feel like it's a priority, then guess what? It's not a priority. So make sure your spouse feels like it is a priority. So make the deepening of your relationship a priority by number one, sharing your spiritual lives together. Your journey together in your relationship with Jesus. This is why I tell my four boys this. I tell any teenager in here, and if you're a single person in here, the first screening that you do with someone is not, are they good looking or not, right? I'm not saying you gotta marry someone that's ugly. You gotta do have some attraction there, right? But the screening starts here. Do they know Jesus? Not that their relationship with Jesus is perfect, but the, is the trajectory as best you can tell of their life to where Jesus is really important in their life. If it is not, then I know as a single person, a teenager, you probably don't think it's a big deal. Pro I, I, listen to me. I beg you to listen to me. It's huge. It is enormously important. And so the deepening, this oneness, this friendship that you want to have, look, it, you've got to make it a priority, share your spiritual lives together. That looks like this for us. My wife and I do not do devotionals together. It just hasn't worked. I know some of you are going like, oh my gosh, you're the pastor of this church and you don't even do a devotional with your wife for crying out loud? What kind of pastor? I don't know. I'm just trying stuff, right? And this is what I do know. It did not work for me to do a devotional with my wife. You know, it, it got to a place where it, it felt like we're kind of getting into a fight. It's like, this ain't how it's supposed to be, right? But here's what we do, do. We do share our lives together. We do talk about what's going on in our life with our relationship with Jesus. And the reason why we do that is not because it's like a list we just check off. Well, this is what I'm supposed to do because I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor and so I'm doubly supposed to do this. No, it's just, it's my life, guys. I love Jesus and I want to love him more. And so if this is a part of my life, then guess what's going to come out? I'm going to talk about it with her. And so does she. And it's not like there's like a set time on Wednesday evenings. We get together and let's talk about spiritual things. No, it's just, it's on a walk. Sometimes it's on a date. Our dates right now look like go out to eat and walk around Costco's, right? It's what you do after you've been married for 26 years, or go walk through Barnes and Noble, or go see a movie sometimes, right? Like sometimes in the midst of that is when it, it happens. But look, guys, look, there's an intentionality here. Like I, I have to step beyond the awkwardness. And yes, it's still awkward at times. And talk about our spiritual lives together. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I, I'm inviting you to take a small step, just a small step. So share your spiritual lives together. Whatever works for you, make some steps toward that. 
And then the other way of kind of prioritizing your relationship is just have fun together, figure out something you enjoy together and do it together. Um, take interest in your spouse's interests and fake it until you get to a place where you really enjoy it. Amen, right? And you can even let your spouse know, look, I'm faking it because I love you and I wanna get there. Maybe in five years I'll be there, but I'm going for it. Right? That, that's, that's marriage, all right? It's like, okay, it's all right. That's nothing shame about that, but enjoy one another. Life is too short to not laugh together. So find things that you enjoy and do it together. That was the first one, priority of sharing your life and deepening this relationship. Second one is this, work, work really, 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 really hard to create a safe place. Friendship love grows through listening. Listening, be quiet, ask questions, probe their hearts, draw them out, listen, 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 and opening up. Can your spouse right now name what you are struggling with? Not what you're struggling with three months ago, but can your spouse name right now what is going on in your interior life and what you're struggling with? That's your responsibility. That's what vulnerability is. You're opening up. And I I get, I've already said this. I get, it can be really hard for some of you because some of you experienced it hurt when you did that and they used it against you. And I'm so sorry that they did that. But by God's grace, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, may you step in and open up. Let them in. Let them in. So make your relationship a huge priority, the deepening of that. Create space where it's safe to listen and open up. Work hard at that. And then the last one is this, or actually I got two more real fast. Third one is this, be patient. This is a lifelong journey. It doesn't, any lasting change doesn't happen overnight, Amen. And so you're not looking at what it's going to be like tomorrow. You're you're trying to say, what's going to be like in five years? And so all I'm trying to do, right, is is I'm going to do my best to kind of step in and move the needle a little bit. And I'm going to be patient. Patient with my spouse. And then the last one, I would say this, of how this can become a deepening of your own uh, friendship and relationship. Some of us, may need to invite someone else in our relationship. Some of us may need to get a third party, whether that's an older couple that comes alongside you, whether that's being involved in a ministry like Grace Marriage, or maybe it's you need to go see counseling and get a therapy therapist involved in this. You guys have heard this story before, but just shared it again several years ago. My wife and I got to a place where, I think it was when we were married for 20 years, and not that marriage was awful. It wasn't like it was like horrible. It just got to a place where we both knew that, yeah, we can continue on and be okay, but we wanted more. And we were stuck. And so we invited someone in. We went to counseling for almost two years. And that was 
quite honestly, very humbling. Very humbling. Because I'm walking in thinking, man, things are great. Why are we here? That's, in, that's inside of me. I'm not telling her that. That wouldn't go well, right? But it's through this other individual that helped us see, helped me see a lot of ways that I wasn't loving my wife well. And I thank God for that season. I really do. That may not be for you. It may not. But you might be in a place where we need to humble ourselves and invite someone in and say, help us. Because God doesn't want you just to have a roommate. He wants you to have a friend. A friend. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.